Okay, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures this morning. Okay? Um, so won't you turn in your Bibles to, I'm going to give you three scriptures. I want you to try to find it one time. Put three fingers. Is it cold in here to y'all? I'm cold. You got to do something by the air. Turn it back or something. Please, somebody, I'm going to freeze up here. Then I'll have to get real wild and really offend everybody to keep from freezing. But Romans 8, 2, Galatians 6, 2, and James 1, 25. Find those three. Romans 8, 2, Galatians 6, 2, and James 1, 25. Find those three verses just to save time. And I want to talk to you about, this is what I want to talk to you about, living by a higher law. Amen. Remember last couple weeks ago I talked to you about the law of sin and death and then the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Y'all remember that? Remember I told you it was, I gave you the comparison between the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. How God introduces a greater law to overcome aerodynamics. The law of aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. Are y'all with me? And, you know, God doesn't, the law of gravity is not done away with just because you're in an airplane. And the law of sin and death is not done away with. It is still a very real law that's active in the earth and that will be active until the Lord himself comes back and works and will continue to work. But there's another law that God has introduced to us to help us overcome, and which not only helps us, which will cause us to overcome if we live by this new law. And that's called the law in Romans. It says this, Romans 8, 2. Let's look at that one first. I just want to, re- I want to read these because I think it's so cool. And I want you to get it in your heart. It says, for the law of, this is Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Just like the law of aerodynamics frees you from the law of gravity. All right, look at Galatians 6, 2. This is, this is really cool, this, this stuff is. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Everybody say the law of Christ. So we've got the law of the spirit of life in Christ, and then we have what the Bible calls the law of Christ. All right, look at James 1, 25. James 1, 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, everybody say law of liberty, and continues in it and, not a, and, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So, actually, these three are all talking about the same law. They're not different laws. They're just, Paul calls it the law of the spirit of life in Christ in Romans. He calls the same law the law of Christ in Galatians. And then James gives it another term called the perfect law of liberty. And that's what the, so when, when the Bible tells us that we're not under the law but under grace, the Bible's not telling us that we don't, there's not a law out there that we're supposed to live by. There's a law that's supposed, that is given to us to govern our lives, to dictate to our lives. Because remember last week I said grace never overlooks sin. I mean, if you were just thinking that this morning, I want to take this microphone and pop you upside the head. That's the way I feel. You know, because grace will confront sin. And if you're living in a sinful lifestyle and thinking, great, God, you got God's grace on you, you're living in, a, in delusion. Because we are given a, a higher law, a much higher law. And this, it's the law of Christ or the law of liberty or the law of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So what I want to talk to you is how do we practically live by this law? You know, what does this law state? 
It's real important we understand what does the law say. If you're going to go to court and you're, you know, you need to understand why you're going and what the law states. Are you with me? All right, now turn over to John 13, 34. And if you want to hold your finger in Romans, that'd be all right because we're going to go there too. I'm just going to give you more scriptures than normal. I'm not going to make a whole bunch of comments on these next three. John 13, 34, this is in the red. This is Jesus. He said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Okay? Love one another as, as I have loved you. Okay? Now turn to Romans 15, verse 7. Romans 15, verse 7. It says, Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And if you like the other word they, that's probably used in somebody's translation, we accept one another. Accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. Okay, all right, now turn to Ephesians 4.32. And this will be the last, the last one of those that I'm going to give you. Give you okay, well, Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now here's a word that goes in every one of those. Uh, one another. All three of those verses had one another. Um, Christ was in two of them. Christ was saying it the other. Uh, so there's a, the common theme. How do we love people? How do we accept people? How do we forgive people? Now this law was telling us how you do those three things. How you, lo how you love, how you accept, how you forgive. And the law is saying you do it just like Christ does it. Okay? That's what the law of Christ says. That's what the law of liberty says. All righty? It says you do it, you love, you forgive, you accept just like he does it. Does that give you comfort? Anybody? Does anybody get comfort out of that? <laughs> I don't know. Now, I'll turn over to Galatians 5. Here, here's what I want to say to this. Okay? Do you know the, in our coin in the United States of America has this word written on it called liberty. It has it on every one of our coins. It says liberty. I checked it this morning on most of them. It says liberty. Or, or you know, the new word, the modern word is freedom. You know, freedom reigns in this place. We're singing that song. Well, let me just tell you about freedom, okay? You really want to know about being free? Freedom is not what you thought it was. It's really not. I'll tell you one thing freedom is not. Freedom is not coming to church and hopping around and having a big time. You know? Or freedom is not coming to church and not having to put up with people who hop around and have a big time. So you come to some churches, freedom is, oh, if I can, you know, just get up and hop around and have a good time. We'll go to some churches, freedom is not having to put up with people who do such things. You see what I'm saying? Neither one of them are freedom. You know, in fact, we've got a real warped view of what real freedom is, I think. Because it's not really in the Bible. 
Let's read Galatians 5, verse 13. And this is Paul talking to these guys in Galatia. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty or freedom. Only do not use your liberty or freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now think about it a minute. That's what the Bible's talking about is real freedom is. Real freedom is not using your freedom for an opportunity for your flesh. But real freedom is what? It is not any of this stuff we thought it was. Real freedom is through love serving other people. That's what I just read to you in the Bible. Okay? And I believe um, that's why the message of grace is so powerful. Because can you imagine a church, can you imagine a people who really forgave each other just like Christ forgave us? Can you imagine that? I mean, it's unimaginable. I have yet to find that church. I've been looking for that church all my life because I personally have been looking for freedom all my life. The problem is I've been looking for it in the wrong places and the wrong things. Can you imagine a church that really loves each other like Jesus loves us? I mean, can you imagine the impact it would have on the world? Or can you imagine a church that accepts people just like Jesus accepted everybody? I mean, can you, can you fathom that? Then what would be the impact of a church like that? The impact of the church like that would be the same impact that Jesus had. You would have the religious crowd mad as hell at you. You, you know, that's just the way it would be. They would be furious at you. They would be furious, just like they were furious at Jesus. It wouldn't be because of your uh, dancing before the Lord or your not dancing before the Lord. See, none of that stuff really matters. In fact, here's what I think. I think the enemy's like, yeah, y'all go on in there and have all the fun you want, jump around and yell and scream or sit there and be quiet. Whatever you want to do, just do that because it's no threat to him. But when a, when a people really get real free according to what the Bible says, the enemy gets scared. The enemy gets scared when people can forgive like Christ forgave. The enemy gets scared when people can accept one another, not based on what our behavior is, but accept one another the way Jesus accepts us and forgive each other like Jesus forgave us. Now that right there is, is, is going, to take, going to take the grace of God to do it, but that's really the law of Christ. That's really what, how God has called the church to be. He's not called us all this other stuff. See, we've went after all these other things thinking somehow God... If we could do these things, we'll be happy, we'll be fulfilled. But I'll tell you, they don't fulfill. You know, some of us have been doing this stuff for 25 years. Now, this is the way the human nature works. If you love me to the same measure as you love me, I'll love you back. If you accept me to that same measure, I'll accept you back. Now, that's really the way we are as Christians. That's the way I am. You can ask my wife because she tells me all the time, you know what, when people don't treat you right, you get mad at them. You know, if they, if they, if they die, ditch you or, you know, be, you know, you can go into a restaurant and a waitress don't treat you right, I'm thinking, I ain't giving them no, no tip. <laughs> you know, it's that old eye for the eye, tooth for the tooth thing. And really, the Lord hasn't called us to that at all. There is this thing that I've been telling you about called the grace of God. And it's not that I accept people who ditch me. And it's not that I love people who, love, who don't love me. And it's not that I forgive them. I don't have to do any of those things. Let me just tell you this. I don't. I can't. I'm not even interested even even trying to do those things. But I'll tell you something. The grace of God says there is a man inside of you who wants to do it. 
Now, that's Christianity. That's how God designed us to live. And until we come to that revelation that all this other stuff we've given all our energy and effort to, whatever it may be, that we've tried to get to God. You know, all, you know I'm not even going to get on it because I can't hardly stand some of the stuff now that I used to love because I realize that's just the flesh. It's me trying to get God to do something when I don't even have to do that. Because, see, I can't forgive somebody if they really hurt me. I can't do it. I can try and say I have and, and work on my heart, but, see, he can. And the whole issue is me stepping out of the way and letting him do it through me. That's how the Bible, that's what the Bible teaches now. I've told you all that. That wasn't really my whole message there. I just wanted to tell you that to really get you to this point. You turn over to 2 Corinthians 13. This is one thing I heard Becky telling somebody. This, well, actually, she was telling Donald McMillan this, trying to comfort her about this situation down at Morningstar. She called her this morning. Becky was saying, this is what's so wonderful about grace. Grace is not a high. It's not this experience you have in church or this experience you, you go through and then you go back down. Grace is something that you, that you can live. And that's the, what, the thing that's going to carry you, your church, and those people through this thing with their child, losing this child, is the grace of God. Because it's not just an experience, guys. It really is life. It's the abundant life that God has, has given us and wants every Christian to have. But the problem is, this is the problem, we've got to get tired of what we got. We've got to get tired of, of our religious stuff that we have. It's not just the Presbyterians that are religious. We're religious. We're religious. I'm telling you, we've got to get tired of our stuff and come to the point to realize this doesn't satisfy me no more. It may satisfy you for a season in your life, but you always want to come back to the place where I'm still empty. Listen, I appreciate. Let's pray for people. Let's bless people. You know, and they get in here and feel a warm touch from God, but they walk out the door and nothing changes in their life. Aren't you kind of tired of that kind of power of Christianity? Aren't, I mean, don't you feel sort of bummed about that, that nothing ever changes? Well, I'm telling you, the reason is, is we, we put our hope in the wrong place. And we really haven't seen what the Scripture really teaches us about these things. Well, let me read this to you. Are you all with me? This is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 14. And this is a powerful verse. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Isn't that powerful? And here's what this is, why this is so powerful. Because this, this is telling us how to live in the law of Christ. This is how, for us how to live in grace, how to live in the love of God. It tells us right there in that one verse of the summary. It's saying this. The Holy Spirit is the person who communicates this to our life. Okay? That, that's what it's saying. It's saying the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the grace of God or the grace of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the, is the one who sheds abroad the love of the Father into our lives. So really and truly what we had to do is think all of a sudden, oh, the Holy Spirit is more important than I thought the Holy Spirit was. Amen? The Holy Spirit suddenly becomes a key player in this whole revelation of God's love, this whole revelation of God's grace. Because He's the one who releases it to us. He's the one who communicates it to our life. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. Are you with me? So the Bible uses terms like this. Walk after the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
That's 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 a word it uses. And then it also uses another one, be filled with the Spirit. Right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We know everybody knows that one, right? Yet how does that practically work in our life? Because see, that's the operational mode of the Holy Spirit, is being filled with him or walking after him. Those are how he 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 releases grace to us. That's how he empowers us to live this grace lifestyle. Are you with me? So we ought to be asking a question. Okay, I understand, God, that I'm supposed to love, I'm supposed to serve each other, I'm supposed to forgive like you did, I'm supposed to accept like you, but I have no idea how to do it. And the Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit or walk after the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you should be saying, Lord, how do I practically do that in my everyday life? Wouldn't you like to know how that practically works? I'm not talking about coming into a church service and getting some touch of God where you felt like you were filled by God. You felt like something happened, but you still went out and cursed your neighbor. Now, something's wrong with that picture, right? I mean, it really is. Something has to be different in your life. If God, if the Holy Spirit is, if you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not just an experience that you had. It, it was an experience, but the experience was just part and partial for the package. But your life has to be changed from it. Are y'all with me? And I'm telling you, I believe this is what's wrong with America. When I, remember last week I gave you all these statistics. You know, 49% of the women who go to crisis pregnancy center are Christians. Is that being filled with the Holy Spirit? Something's wrong with this. Something's wrong with us. All right, turn over to Acts 2. I think one of the things that I'm seeing about the Holy Spirit is this. Is I think the church has gotten scared about preaching about the Holy Spirit, except for in a very, uh, it's just, you know, all over the road. I mean, it's, it's just extremes on both ends that really don't seem to have any practical outworking in our life. You see what I'm saying? There's this experience in over here, you know, where people have this experience with the Holy Spirit which I am all absolutely for experiencing the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying if that don't translate to something different, or there's this other end where they have basically, um, I don't want to use the word that came to my mind, but basically took the power of the Holy Spirit out of the Holy Spirit. You know? He said, taking all his power away. And, you know, they have tamed him and stuck him in a box, stuck him in some book somewhere, and tamed the Holy Spirit. Now he can't do anything. You know, he's stuck in this book. Somewhere he's stuck in you know your little box. This is how the Holy Spirit can can work, and you know he he quit doing that back you know on the day of Pentecost. That was for then you know all that crazy stuff. You know we don't believe that at all. You know one of the things I feel like the church has really fallen down on is the church really doesn't speak about the gift of, of tongues anymore. Really doesn't preach it, or you, if some of the preaching you get on it's, it's sort of perverted preaching. But, you know, it's a gift from God, a powerful gift from God. And you've got all these people out there that have rejected it, and then you've got the church scared to preach about it. And I believe it's a powerful gift that God has given the church. And we need to really, the church needs to start preaching about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, because the Holy Spirit, this is what He's going to do. He's going to communicate grace into your life. He's going to communicate love into your life. I mean, that's what he's going to do if we would let him and get him, let him get out of the... If you got this Pentecostal box you put him in, let him out. If you've got this uh, Presbyterian box you put him in, let him out. I mean, we've got to let him out. 
or we are still going to be the same people we've always been. And I have declared to the Lord, I am not going to stay the same. I'm not. I can't. I can't stand it no more. I can't stand myself no more. You know what I'm saying? I can tell you, I'm, I'm having to be careful here. <laughs> well, let me read this. I think this. I think the pattern from the beginning is the pattern for us today. Acts, let me read Acts 2.4. You know, this is the day of Pentecost. These things have been preached 98 ways. And I'm not preaching on tongues this morning. Not today. I'm preaching on something else. But I am going to preach on tongues when I get, get to there. I am because I believe in it. And I've been doing it for 25, 26 years. No kidding. I've been doing it for 26 years now. And it's a tremendous gift. But it says they were all filled. Everybody say filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is sort of the pattern that happened. Now, so I don't want to, I'm going to leave that for now. And I want you to jump down to verse 33. Because I want to talk to you about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it's wonderful. This is a wonderful thing. It says in verse 33 of Acts 2, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, that's Jesus, right? And having received from the from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. That's a very important scripture for us. And th this is the reason it's important. This is the reason we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I just told you the reason we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It, here's some old things I used to hear. Well, you've got to quit smoking to get filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a lie from hell. You don't have to do anything to get filled with the Holy Spirit except believe. Because the reason we can be filled with the Holy Spirit is why? It's because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's what I just read to you. That's the sole basis of us being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can go to Jesus and say, I can be filled with the Holy Spirit today, right now, because you are sitting on the right hand of God. It has nothing to do if I'm a, in a Pentecostal church or a Presbyterian church. Those are irrelevant things. They mean nothing. But the church has made them mean something. And the devil has gotten his way with us over that stuff. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit right this moment because right this moment, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And you receive the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, just like you receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus died on the cross, therefore I can be forgiven. And I accept that forgiveness, right? Ain't that how we got forgiven? Jesus, you died for my sins. Your blood cleanses me. Now, I'm walking around here today cleansed. Do you see any blood on me? No, you don't. Because it's a spiritual thing. But also I can say the same thing to, to Jesus. Jesus, you're sitting at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, I get to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the reason. It's not all this other stuff that we've been taught. I'm just telling you what, what Peter said. This is the pattern. This is why you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's critical that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to walk in the grace of God. Jesus ain't going to be able to live his life through you. Because that's how he does it. It's by the, by the power of the Spirit. All right, let's read verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen? Because Jesus is the Lord. Because Jesus is the Christ, because Jesus is exalted, just wanted to reiterate that and say it again, we can be filled with the Spirit. 
So take your Presbyterian. I was a Presbyterian growing up. I'm t tossing my Presbyterian. I didn't even know. I didn't know what they thought about preacher. I went to Presbyterian church for years. I didn't know what they thought about anything because I never listened to a word they said in there. <laughs> I went because my mom and daddy made me go. <laughs> as soon as I got old enough for them to quit making me, I quit going. My experience with the Holy Spirit was wonderful because I didn't know what anybody believed about it. I just heard one teaching on it, and the guy said this. There's three things you need to do to grow as a Christian. Number one, you need to get saved. Yep, I was saved. Number two, you need to get baptized in water. Yep, I was baptized in water. Number three, you get, need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm, don't have that one. So I went home after listening to this guy teach and said, I don't know about this filling of the Spirit. I never heard of it in the Bible, so I won't. I got filled with the Spirit for the first time that day. And for the rest of my life, I've been getting filled since then and found out everybody's got all this crazy stuff they believe about, and there's all this argument in the church over it, you know, and it's just messed up. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, it really, so the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not for a few favored people. You got that? It's not for the favored few. Please get that in your heart. The filling of the Holy Spirit... It's for every person who will believe that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. It's for all believers. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the filling of the Holy Spirit is rightfully yours. And you can have it right this second by simply believing and asking God to fill you. Don't get hung up on all the other, other teachings that go on around about it. Amen? Now, let me just give you one more scripture here. Actually, two more. Turn to 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians six, verse nineteen and twenty. I think. Is that right? Yeah. That can't be right. It's First Corinthians. I had this terrible dream last night. And this is what the dream was. I was telling everybody to get turned to such and such scripture in Zechariah. I could not find that book in my Bible. You know how humiliating that would be for somebody preaching not to be able to find a book in the Bible. And I remember the last thing I remember before Becky woke me up this morning, I was looking in the index trying to find out where it was at. <laughs> oh, that was bad. Woo! Help, Lord. Mm. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 6, 19 and 20. All right, this is what Paul was talking to the church at Corinth. Uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? He was saying that to these guys. Don't you know this? Whom you have from God. And you are not your own? That's, that's what Paul, you're not your own. He was saying, don't y'all know this? May I ask you a question this morning? Did you know you're not your own? Did you, know that, did you not know that Jesus bought you with a price, his blood, he owns you? Don't you know that? If you really knew that, do you, would you be doing some of the stuff? You don't have a revelation, you have a head knowledge of that. If you really had a revelation of that, you would realize, whoa, if I, he really owns me, why am I doing some of the things I'm doing? That's the way, kind of what Paul was doing. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He's talking about your physical body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay? Here's, Washington Lee said this. He said there's an inward work of the spirit and there's an outward work of the spirit. And in his word, the inward work is much more precious than the outward work. Okay? The outward work is the outward manifestations of the spirit. Okay? In our lives. And honestly, as a charismatic person, that I blank, not that I'm charismatic, okay, in my abilities, I'm talking about being a person who was born again and got into a charismatic 
flow and stream that God divinely placed me in, and I'm not ashamed of that this morning. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he didn't make me go back to the Presbyterian church. I thought they were kind of boring. That's just the way God made me. Now, some Presbyterians think, may think we're boring. You know what I'm saying? But I'm glad for what God has given me, my spiritual heritage. So, but my, here's the problem with a lot of my spiritual heritage is I have sought the outward experience a whole lot in my life. And I think the outward experience is wonderful. And that's what Paul was trying to address with the church at Corinth. They were really enamored with the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit. But their lives were a mess. You see what I'm saying? They were into sexual immorality. They were getting drunk at church. You know, they were having these meals and they were coming in there and getting drunk, drinking too much wine in the church. You know, they had wine they were serving. They were, some people probably don't believe that, but somehow I know they were getting drunk and it wasn't great Jesus getting drunk on. You know? So they were getting drunk in church off, you know, supposedly the fellowship meal. Um, they were a mess. And Paul was trying to address this precious thing that's in us, saying, listen, there's this inward work that God wants to release. In other words, there's the power of God and there's the personality of God. And they had an issue with the personality of God. And, and what I said earlier, that's the problem I feel like the church in America, and I'm concluding myself, is facing. We have an issue with God's personality being expressed through us. Because if, if we didn't have this issue, 65% to 85% of young people would not be deserting the Lord upon graduation from high school. Christian women would not be going and getting counseling at Crisis Pregnancy Center about getting abortion. All these high-dollar preachers, or whatever preachers they are, that are getting divorced and remarried other women, that wouldn't be happening. Something's wrong with the personality part, and I think we really have to address that part, the personality of God in us, being released in us. Are you with me? And I'm talking to all of us. It ain't just the preachers and those poor women who got pregnant and they didn't want to be pregnant. You know? Or it's not just young people. It's all of us. We've got issues that we've got to deal with. And I believe the grace of God gives the answer to these things. And it's the Holy Spirit, if we will allow ourselves to be filled, if we will allow ourselves to walk after the Spirit, that's how we can address these things and we can become a different people. You see what I'm saying? And this is what we need. Isn't it not what we need? Isn't it not that we need to change? Something's wrong with us, not just the world. The world's a messed up place, but something's way wrong with the church. 